From Press Communications, LLC, this is Jersey Shore Matters with Diane de Oliveira. Monmouth County-based Habcorn Red Bank has been providing homeless families, veterans, and individuals with special needs with housing, meals, and nurturing support for 36 years. Joining me today to talk about outreach the group has been doing in Ocean County is Katie Lord, Habcorn Associate Director. Welcome to the show, Katie. Good morning, Diane. Tell me about what your two outreach specialists are doing in Ocean County, which does not have a permanent homeless shelter. Yes, so our Outreach and Diversion Program is a very specialized program. The outreach piece is designed to um, find the unsheltered homeless. These are your individuals or families living in places not meant for habitation, uh, such as tents um, behind Walmarts and these larger stores, encampments in the woods, or places not meant for human habitation, such as bridges, Um, warehouses, uh, you name it. How long have you been doing this specific outreach in Ocean County? We've been doing this since August of 2023. So are you seeing an increase or noticing difference in the types of homeless people? I know in doing these stories over and over again with different uh, advocacy groups, I'm hearing that it's not just what you might think the um, stigmatism that goes along with people who are homeless, but older adults who are older 55 that that can no longer live on a fixed income. They can't afford to anymore. And families are struggling. Are you seeing this change the face of what a homeless person looks like now in 2024? Yeah, you're seeing a lot of first-time homeless population. These are individuals or families who who have never needed assistance before, um, but with the rising cost of rent um, and the disabled population, there is is a large gap in the ability to pay for rentals. How many people are you roughly finding in Ocean County? Do you you keep count? I mean, I know there is an annual count, uh, the point-in-time survey that keeps track of the homeless year after year for federal statistics and aid, but do you keep track as well? Are you able to follow these people through the system as they transition and get help? So since the start of the grant, we've been able to identify 170 people and or households in Ocean County who are living in those encampments, in tents in the woods, and in their cars, and those places not meant for habitation. Um, The numbers are going up. We just recently had our point-in-time count last week, our annual point-in-time count, and hopefully those numbers will come out probably after the summertime. Um, But they have been going up, mainly due to the rising cost of rentals. It's, It's very expensive to live anywhere, you know, especially in Monmouth County. And then when you get to the Jersey Shore area, um, the cost of rentals are, are, are much higher than, than the national average. Katie, you said 170 individuals. That sounds very alarming. What, how does that compare to the number of individuals in Monmouth County that are without permanent housing? I'm not familiar directly with the Monmouth County unsheltered homeless. I would say the numbers are probably comparable between both counties. Monmouth County is much more densely populated Um, It's a little bit more rich in services. However, Monmouth County is a little bit more expensive when it comes to rentals. So I would say that the numbers are are probably comparable um, 
to the same that what we're seeing in Ocean County. Sure. Katie, when you go out and you have, you know, you're looking for people in places that you wouldn't normally expect to see people sleeping or trying to live, what happens from that point? Do you, do you approach the individual, explain who you are? Can you kind of walk me through the process of what happens at that point? It's about uh, building rapport and, and engaging with them and really finding out what their needs are. Um, understanding that these individuals or families are homeless, um, they not, may not be necessarily asking for housing. They may be asking for food. Um, they may be asking for water. We've had families uh, recently with, with the weather, um, their tents have gotten flooded out. So we've been purchasing tents. We've been purchasing um, gift cards so they can get gas in the car so they can continue to work or to get to those resources to help them find housing. They're asking for jackets. They're asking, sometimes they just want somebody to talk to. Um, But our goal is to really, with the unsheltered homeless, is to connect them with the coordinated entry system and to get them on essentially the master list for all homeless people in the county so they can get into the right direction to get either into permanent housing with programs like HABCOR, into senior housing, into Section 8, or into affordable housing units. But surprisingly, once we engage with some of these families, they're not immediately asking for housing. They're asking for food, tents, boots, dry clothing, blankets. Um, We are also offering rides to those Code Blue sites and those warming centers when it is activated. So when the temperature hits freezing, uh, temperatures 35 and below or 32 and below, we are driving them to those warming centers to get them out of the elements so they don't freeze outside um, during those months as well. As you said, it's it's basically basic necessities that people are asking for. Shelter seems to be, permanent shelter seems to be the least of their immediate needs. So once these families are receptive to uh, maybe getting help into other programs, if they're already struggling and they're just trying to meet their basic needs, how are they supposed to keep in touch with the program outreach coordinators or once they're sent in different directions? How does that communication continue if they're already living in an unstable environment? So it is short-term case management. Um, The goal is to connect them with the appropriate services that can walk them through that process. However, we're always available by phone if there's any follow-up questions or additional needs or support. So sometimes it's just a matter of getting them a cell phone, getting them prepaid minutes so we can continue that communication if there is a breakdown in those services or those referrals that we do have. When you're dealing with a homeless population, the, the lack of communication is always a struggle for the outreach staff because... Uh, They need to charge their phones. Their phones get stolen. Their phones get broken. They can't pay for minutes. So we do try and make sure that we can continue that connection because without the ability to pick up that phone and call somebody, they're really kind of, they're really stuck. So we make sure that we continue that communication by providing that support or we're also following up with the referral end of that process um, to see how they are doing with the services that we referred them to. Katie, of the 170 people that you're finding in Ocean County or that you have um, made contact with with the outreach program, how many of those are actually families or how young of children are we talking about that are homeless with their families? 
So from the start of the program, we've actually encountered four families. One family had three children. Um, another family we transported to emergency placement. They had a one-year-old infant child. Oh. Um, and we've actually been able to house those other two families. We had a mom with a, a young adult son, and we've also been able to house um, a young couple with a three-month-old child. Um, we've been able to place them in housing within our program, and we've been able to provide intensive case management, um, which also provides um, affordable rents as well to get them stable, to provide them with the support that they need so when the, serv when the assistance is over, um, they're able to be permanently and successfully housed. Katie, do families take precedent over individuals in these situations? It depends. Definitely if we do encounter a child, we do call the authorities, um, DCPMP, um, or the police, not in a punitive way. However, um, having a child does put priority in terms of getting them placed into emergency housing and getting that child um, out of the tent or in the, in the temporary motels that they're staying. So children, yes, do take uh, priority in terms of, again, that immediate assistance and action needs to be taken. Katie, you mentioned that all of the families you encountered were able to get emergency housing or shelter. What mm -hmm. happens beyond the emergency shelter? How long is that for? And then what happens from that point? Is the, Are they put on a list, I think you mentioned, for, for permanent housing? And how long is that list or how long does it even take to be able to get a permanent housing situation? It's a, that's a very challenging question to answer. Um, emergency housing in, in easy terms is usually up to 90 days. Um, I know with the Board of Social Services, sometimes they can provide emergency placement up to 12 months or longer. Permanent housing can, can be, you know, it could take three months, it could take six months, it could take two years. It just depends on what money and service dollars are in the county. Katie, I just want to remind our listeners that this is Jersey Shore Matters. I'm your host, Diane de Oliveira, and I'm speaking with Katie Lord. She is the Associate Director at Habcor Incorporated in Red Bank. They are a Monmouth County-based outreach program. They help uh, homeless families, veterans, and individuals with special needs with housing and meals and other types of support. I know you, you probably have so many success stories. Is there any in particular that stand out in your mind of a family or an individual that you helped that are now thriving and have been able to turn their circumstances around? So since the start of the program, we've been able to keep 10 households housed and prevent them from being evicted. So these are families who have gone to landlord-tenant court and have had outstanding balances, or we've been able to pay security deposits and and first month's rent to get those families out of their emergency homeless situation back into an apartment. It's extremely impactful because entering the homeless system, it's much harder to get out and it's much easier to be homeless than to get out of homelessness. So those 10 households, which represent roughly 30 people, we've prevented all of those families and children from entering that system of care, keeping a roof over those over their heads, parents are able to keep their employment, and those kids are able to go to school every single day. 
Glad to hear stories like that and the success that this program is having. As far as the housing, though, and once they are placed somewhere, New Jersey has a shortage of affordable housing. We know that. How difficult is it finding places to be able to place these people in permanent homes? It's challenging. Um, As a housing provider ourselves, we do everything that we can within our program, but we're just one agency. Um, Rentals are are getting higher, um, and, you know, landlords are are getting more and more for rent. So that kind of creates a larger gap in the ability of not only just finding a rental, um, but finding something affordable. You know, they're experiencing a lot of barriers in terms of actually securing housing, not only from the monetary standpoint, but between poor credit, between having no income, or having an eviction on their record that really adds an additional layer of barriers that they cannot secure housing. So, for example, a lot of the population in the encampments, a lot of them have pets. When you're homeless, you have a, have a pet as a sense of security, as a sense of companionship, and sometimes they're housing ready, but landlords will not allow them to move in with a pet. And it's a very difficult situation for them to decide Do I house myself or do I keep my pet who has been, you know, a loyal companion to me? So not only from the affordable piece, we're looking at other issues which are preventing people from being housed. And it's just as minute as you have a pet, I will not accept, um, I will not accept you as a tenant, which creates, you know, an added layer uh, of challenges. I wish there was much more affordable opportunities, uh, but unfortunately that has not, you know, it's a slow-going process. There's a lot of red tape involved, and again, there's, there's just a lot of barriers. So we do everything that we can. We get creative. We collaborate. You know, Ocean County is very collaborative in terms of, of nonprofits and agencies working together. So we're hoping that it continues, um, but it is a slow-going process. Katie, we are just about out of time. What would the message be from you for people to try to get involved and help? Or what what can community members do? Obviously, donations are always warranted and, and the outreach coordinators can get what they need with monetary donations, probably better. But what, what can communities do instead of just thinking that there's a stigmatism that goes along with people who are homeless? They're not necessarily there because they want to be or they have an addiction or uh, some other mental uh, health issue. Nobody wants to be homeless. It's not a choice. Um, There are a lot of circumstances. You know, I I feel that a lot of people are just either one paycheck or one situation away from becoming homeless. Housing is a human basic need. And it's disappointing that the there aren't opportunities for people to stay off the streets because housing is also health care. From my point of view, I think what the community, uh, what would be helpful is, is we need landlords to come forward with housing opportunities, with realistic, affordable housing opportunities. We, we find that there has been a shortage of opportunities and engagement with those private landlords to give them opportunities. We're also looking for, for low barrier screening, eviction histories, low credit scores, that is also a factor in some of these landlords refusing housing, even though they are able to afford it. 
So I hope that there, there's more of, of a dialogue between landlords to understand the population, to not discriminate because they have been homeless. You know, a person is, should not be, I guess, categorized just because of a situation. They are much more than being homeless. They are a person. They have family. They have people that care for them. And sometimes I hope people look beyond that to say, to not just say, well, you know, these are lazy drug addicts who want to be homeless. Nobody wants to be homeless, but somebody wants a fair chance. And that's what they're, that's what they're looking for. Katie, thank you for that. I want you to be able to give out the HabCor web address or phone number for people who are hearing this and maybe they know someone who needs help or they want to get involved. What can people do? They can reach out to our website. It is habcore.org. It's spelled H-A-B-C-O-R-E dot O-R-G. You can also reach out to our, our main office at 732-544-1975. There's also additional contact information on our website um, in terms of reaching out via email. Uh, we are always willing to hear opportunities or ideas or any ways that anyone can help because it does take a village. Katie Lord, Associate Director of Habcor in Red Bank, thank you so much and for everything that you're doing. Thank you, Diane. You can hear Jersey Shore Matters with Diane D'Oliveira every Sunday morning on Press Communications, LLC.